Hello, I'm Roxana. I'm the founder of Conscious Enterprises, and welcome to Conversations with Conscious Enterprises. This conversation is with Jeff Bernhard, who may seem like your typical corporate executive. Um, he was formerly the senior vice president at the major health insurance company, Aetna, where he spent most of his lengthy career in healthcare. And for an industry that is really beginning to unravel for its lack of improvements in actual health, it's executives like Jeff that are really becoming the voice of reason in healthcare. Um, he's now the president of a company called Continental Benefits, yet Jeff still makes time for his passion for gardening, growing his own food, and sharing his experiences on his YouTube channel called The Executive Gardener. He also hosts a healthcare industry podcast called Friends with Benefits. Beyond just insights and being a healthcare industry expert, Jeff is extremely in touch with nature. He understands the importance of wellness and well-being, and he is contributing to moving a giant needle in a giant syringe of an industry. In this conversation, you'll learn about what the healthcare industry knows has gone wrong and how people like Jeff are trying to correct it. You'll learn about food deserts and why they really shouldn't exist because he proposes a great solution to a major problem. Um, and he also just shares his own thoughts on health and wellness. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Please subscribe, please follow us on social media. We're on LinkedIn, we're on Facebook, and we're on Instagram. And you can always find us at www.conscious.enterprises. So thanks so much for making the time for me, Jeff. Sure. All the way in Houston. Um, so you are the president now of Continental Benefits, which is a third-party administrator, and we'll talk about a little bit about what that is later. Um, you were also formerly the senior vice president at Aetna, which is one of the, if not the largest um, insurance companies in the, in the country. Um, and you're also super entrepreneurial. I know you have a podcast now called Friends with Benefits which is a great name for someone <laughs> in the health benefits um, space. Um, and also you have the Executive Gardener channel on YouTube, which I love. Um, but let's start from the very beginning. I want to know where you're from and uh, how you grew up and basically how did you get into healthcare? Yeah, so I um, grew up in Pennsylvania, suburb of Philadelphia. Um, went to school in Pennsylvania. Uh, for a young undergraduate, and uh, my dad was with uh, New York Life, big life insurance company for many years as a general manager. So I started off um, in that business of life insurance, and I failed miserably. <laughs> um, I figured out at 23 or 22, nobody wanted to buy life insurance, like none of my friends. So I met somebody in the, the HMO space at that time uh, in Philadelphia, I think in 19... I was at 93 and started with a small HMO and went from there. So it's been a long, strange trip, uh, Roxana. So it's been uh, Philadelphia, Phoenix, Southern Cal, Kansas City, and now Houston, all of Atlanta until 2014. Very nice. And what is it about the healthcare space um, that drives you, that you enjoy? What are some of the benefits and what are some of the challenges? 
Um, well, you know, there's very few things. I mean, there's a lot that you can do with your career, but there's very few things, I think, that meet the front page of the paper every day. And this is one of them. Healthcare is a big uh, issue in our country in many, many different ways. And it's uh, 17% of the gross domestic product. And there doesn't appear to be any uh, slowdown in the increase of costs and the trend of what's going on. So it's becoming uh, less and less affordable for the American public. And you know, quite frankly, as a good friend of mine, Dave Chase, just wrote a book. It says, you know, healthcare is stealing the American dream. So hmm. all the money that's supposed to be going toward payroll increases and that type of things are getting sucked up by healthcare costs. So I think it's a worthwhile cause and it's something that needs to be solved for in the United States and around the world for that matter. Absolutely. And how do you see yourself doing that or contributing to that solution um, at Continental Benefits? Well, so we're a third-party administrator, TPA, so what that means is that we contract with large self-funded employers and try to bring better solutions to accomplish the triple aim, which is, of course, improved, uh, improved health outcomes, reduced spend, and improved experience uh, for the member or the patient. And so we're just bringing more technology, uh, better solutions, better process, the system, which is a bit archaic, that's been around for 20 years, 20, 30 years. Right. Great. Um, and let's talk a little bit more about you as an entrepreneur and all these kind of fun side projects that you do. Um, being a big executive that you are, I love that you know you do this gardening and this podcast and things like that. What are some of your projects that you're working on right now? Um, well, I have a lot of things. So I spend <laughs> a lot of time in the healthcare. I spend a lot of time. Um, just talking to people around the country, talking to employers, uh, doing podcasts, to your point, and trying to raise the awareness about how healthcare be, can be approved. So that's in the space. Mm -hmm. uh, personally, I spend most of my time on the soccer fields on the weekends with my kids. Yeah. So uh, that takes up just about all weekend traveling. And then uh, lastly, I spend, as you know, a lot of time in the garden. So yeah. uh, my executive gardener channel keeps me busy. and. Uh, I keep trying to teach people how to eat healthier and grow food in the backyard. So yeah. those are the three things that occupy most of my time right now. And what was your original inspiration for starting, uh, not just gardening, but starting an actual, you were obviously into it enough to start an actual YouTube channel about it. Um, what was so inspiring about it for you? What did it do for your life? You know, it, it taught me how to de-stress. So there's not a lot, I, I, I'm, I'm a, as, as you know me from the past, I'm pretty much a stress cadet, <laughs> and I'm pretty much on all the time. And healthcare is a very stressful industry, so yeah. uh, my ability to de-stress and get back to the garden and put your hands in soil, I found it very therapeutic, and it was time to detach from the day-to-day -day of healthcare. So that's what I try to teach others in my channel, and it seems like it's working pretty well because the channel continues to grow. Very nice. Um, and I know in one of your episodes that I watched, you said something like, a lot of people are living to work instead of working to live. Um, can you s explain a little bit about that and and uh, what your experience has been with that? Well, I just think that, look, as, as all of us age, um, I think many of us in our 20s and 30s think that we're invincible. As we start to age in our 40s and 50s, uh, you start to have health issues, typically, um, or some people tend to get, you know, gain weight or their hair goes gray or their eyes go or 
the natural progression of aging. And I think as you kind of mature, you start to kind of look for more diverse things to do. And that's what I have. So in, in the 30s, it was very characteristic for me to work nonstop, uh, weekend, all that type of stuff. And uh, that's not sustainable uh, long term. So it is a marathon, not a sprint. And uh, certainly if you want to be married and have a family, that's not sustainable. So I think it's just all about getting proper balance in life. And uh, the gardening and some of the things I do with my kids helps bring me back to balance because I think if I wasn't married and I didn't have kids and I didn't have a garden, I'd work pretty much 24-7. That yeah. makes for a very dull boy. So. <laughs> that it does. That it does. Um, so as someone in the healthcare industry that's obviously involved in the space, but also at the same time, uh, conversely, you know, you grow your own food, you eat from nature, you obviously appreciate um, this kind of balance. Um, do you think that a lot of the disease epidemics that we see today could be avoided if people just embraced like a cleaner diet and um, a more natural or plant-based um, lifestyle? And how do you see this affecting the healthcare industry? Yeah, so I mean, I totally agree. So I think, you know, I, I was with, um, I was in Washington, D.C. last week, and I saw um, John Mackey, the CEO of um, Whole Foods, Foods, talk, yeah. and he was saying that, you know, he was talked a lot about um, being conscious about your decisions and how, um, you know, pretty much 80% of the food that you eat should be plant-based mm. and should not be um, processed, certainly, and shouldn't be meat either. So, I mean, that's what will allow us to live to be 100 for those that want to be 100. But as it relates to health economics, what's clearly driving our system and a little bit taking down our system currently is obesity. And um, it's, it's a huge epidemic. Right. And it's probably not going to go away anytime soon. So we need to get a hold of it. We need to work on it. And I would say that obesity-related issues probably lead to um, you know, 25, 30% of the cost in healthcare, if not more. Oh diabetes, God. all the other issues. So it's um, uh, it, it's a big problem. So, and the other thing is that people need to be accountable. So it is not. Um, it's probably so. If you if you belong to an employer plan, and I may get in trouble for saying this, mm -hmm. but it is not responsible to be 400 pounds on a, on a health plan because um, you wouldn't pay somebody. Uh, an increase in salary to be 400 pounds. So, if you make a hundred thousand dollars a year, we wouldn't pay you 200. But that's exactly what's happening with mm -hmm. healthcare benefits. Uh, they're paying an extra hundred thousand for that. As say their obesity, the gastric bypass surgery, and I think we all have a responsibility to each other um, to be healthy. And you know, my wife's a dietitian, as you know, and. You know, being overweight is simple math. It's, you know, you, you got to burn more than you eat. Right. At the end of the day. And it's, it's there's a numerator and a denominator, and you have to make them both work. Right. And I know it's hard. I mean, people that I know that are in the best shape of their life, they get up at 6 in the morning, and they find the time to work out. I know it's not possible for everybody, but um, I think people need to take accountability right. for uh, what they put in their mouth. Yeah. So you're saying that... Um, just financially even, um, people who are not watching their diets or people that are obese or have, you know, or for whatever reason are not in good health, 
become a strain on the system as a whole, essentially, because basically they're getting more procedures done, they need to soak up their health insurance more, and that kind of raises prices overall. Well, right? look, yeah, so, so think about an employer. So an employer has the two major costs are number one, payroll, and number two, healthcare costs. So if you look at all these teachers that aren't getting raises, the reason they're not getting raises is because it's getting eaten up in the self the self funded healthcare cost. Mm. You know, it goes up at ten percent a year. So it, it's it's like squeezing a balloon. You squeeze it on one side, it's gonna pop out on the other. So and I don't want to sound insensitive because I do have uh, empathy for people that have weight issues, but um, that they, they do cost employers a lot more money, not just in healthcare costs but also productivity. And it's hard uh, to live healthy and and, uh, and lose weight, but um, we're going to have to do it, otherwise yeah. the healthcare system is not going to get better. So what are some of the things that you think employers can do to kind of empower their employees to, you know, lose weight or sure. just live healthier lives? So um, I think they have to give choices and they have to give incentives. So, for example, my employer gives me a reduction on the amount of monthly premium I pay or what healthcare plan I can choose from by doing X amount of things. So. For example, males have to have a waist of 38 or less, okay? Okay. Uh, you have to have blood pressure under X. You have to have cholesterol under X. And you can have it controlled by medicine, yeah. but that's something called metabolic syndrome. And you can't have a BMI over 25. If you have that, then you pay less for your health insurance. Uh, if you don't, you're going to pay the uh, Affordable Care Act allows you to pay 30% more right now. So I think mm. um, employers have to either um, provide the programs or the incentives to allow uh, employees to, to be better. And if not, people are going to just pay more. That's all there is right. to it because either way, the employer is going to pay more through the payroll deduction or through the claim costs. Yeah. These people will cost people more. And the people that are doing what they should be doing should be rewarded. Um, you know, they're not going to get an increase in salary, but uh, they should have their contributions reduced uh, in, in payroll. In what you've seen so far, have you seen any employers um, using any any sort of incentives? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, usually some of them. Yeah. Some of them uh, put people in a richer plan with less co-pays. Oh, cool. Uh, some of them deposit money into their HSA account. Oh, nice. There's a thousand ways to incent the employee to That's do great. to get the desired behavior. Um, at the same time, employers who do nothing. Uh, get high increases because they just continue to attract the talent that is looking for a workforce um, that is not um, looking to be healthy, I'll put it that way. Got it. Great. Kind of um, risk selection. Yes. Um, so we kind of covered my, my next question. Um, next I want to kind of pick your brain about food deserts. I know you know a lot about this topic, mm -hmm. which I'm super interested in. Um, because there are a lot of people in this country that genuinely want to live healthier lives. They would love to, you know, have a healthier lifestyle, but they literally just do not have the access to healthy or natural foods. Um, can you explain a little bit about this topic for people who don't really know what a food desert is? How is this possible that this exists and why? Um, and just kind of your thoughts on how we can fix it? Sure. So a food desert's an area, I don't know what's defined by, let's say it's, you know, five, ten square miles uh, in a typically a metropolitan area, typically an impoverished area where there's no access to healthy food. 
Um, so there's a lot of liquor stores, there's a lot of fast food uh, places, but there's no uh, ability to access uh, fresh vegetables, fresh fruit, and sometimes fresh fish, etc. And the other problem in those areas is that if it is there, it's too expensive for people to afford in that socioeconomic area, so they have to physically pay to travel to another place to get it and then bring it back, which is a strain in those areas. So what what we're trying to do, uh, well, what I did before, as you remember, is I, when I was working with Aetna, is we built a community garden in an impoverished area, which is a food desert. So we partnered with the city, and we uh, had two about two acres of land uh, through a, a nonprofit organization. The city donated the land, that's taxpayer dollars, and the water, and we got volunteers to cultivate and um, and uh, provide food to those in need in the area. So many. Two, uh, two, two, uh, two acres of food will produce more food than you'll ever imagine uh, for those that need it. So, you know, I think this is, you know, look at the politics, but the amount of money that we spend on necessary in this country, on med- and Medicaid is very necessary, don't get me wrong, but I think that if we took a portion of those taxpayer dollars, or if you added a Sunday tax, or a potato chip, or a French fry tax, and you actually have all this land that sits that the city owns, or every city or town owns, in these metropolitan areas, and you converted uh, five acres, and uh, allowed people to each have a plot in there, and harvest their own food, that would change everything. I know it can be done. I've done it. And it's cheap. You want to talk about ROI. I can give you 20 tomato seeds for free, and that (laughs) will produce, you know, 300 tomatoes, right, or 400 tomatoes. So it's entirely possible, but you need people like the master gardeners and others in the area to cultivate the soil. You need volunteers. And most importantly, you need the city and county uh, to give a darn about the food desert and the nutrition. Right. And the best part about it, Roxana, is the people who love it the most, you would be surprised, or maybe not, are the people that are elderly, okay? Because yeah. they at one point in time were an agrarian, I guess you call it, yeah. society. They gardened, or they gardened with their brothers or mothers. And then the young kids. So it's actually a great way to, because... What I found out about children, and when we brought children to this community garden, kids aren't going to put something in their mouth that they've never seen before. Okay? <laughs> right. So when they see a piece of asparagus, they're not not—they're not going to put it in their mouth. Now, yeah. they'll put a burger from McDonald's in, but they're not going to put a piece of celery because they don't know what it tastes like. So what we, um, what we try to do is become familiar with that, and it's a great way to... to, to um, to span the generations, connect the young with the folks that are older, and they can learn from each other. That's fantastic. So do you think, uh, like, what is the barrier to entry here? Like, why is it such a challenge to corral these folks to make it happen? It seems like it's so so reasonable and plausible. um, It's just politics. It's uh, city councils have to make it a priority. And then, you know, you you need volunteers, quite frankly. And you need donations because even when you you get the land, um, and I'll tell you our example, we had the land. Where was uh, it? It was, a, it was in Missouri City, Texas, which is okay. uh, between Houston and um, Sugar Land. Okay. And, you know, impoverished area, somewhat impoverished, but it was a food desert. Yeah. And um, it was right across from a high school. 
and we got Home Depot, we got Lowe's to donate, we got uh, the health insurance company to donate, right. and a small donation went for three years. So wow. you really need you really need corporations in the area that 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 serve that community to contribute. If everybody does a little bit, you get some good volunteers and a good nonprofit. It's off to the races. Absolutely, that's awesome. I think that's a plan. We got to make it happen somehow. Got to yeah. get some phone calls. Um, in your opinion, we talked a little bit about obesity already, but in your opinion, what do you think are the biggest health issues that humanity needs to be wary of in general? Um, I would say, uh, without question, you already talked about one of them, obesity. Yeah. Um, I think um, the natural progression of our body weight and our change in diet is going to create health issues more than we ever expected. Mm. Um, so when you see, um, so I'll just give you a few examples. When you see, so, so think about, when you see kids these days, they're much bigger than the kids where we grew up. Right. Right. And that's a result, perhaps, of feeding steroids to the animals that we yeah. eat, and or ingesting that. But also, you know, some of people, their diet is, is 80% processed food and meat. That's going to create all types of things like colon cancer, uh, obesity, diabetes. So I think um, what we put in our mouth, we've got to do an about face um, because it's, it's going to be a major problem for us otherwise. And there's no question. I think, I think obesity is probably the number one health threat to us right now. Yeah. I think we've done a pretty good job growling, smoking, and that type of uh, that type of stuff. I would say um, the other issue I think that, that impacts us from a health perspective is um, outliving our savings. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as we continue to uh, create medicines and specialty drugs that allow us to live longer, um, you know, when Medicare was created, the average person lived to be 68. Right. Okay? So, you get Medicare at 65, then you enjoy your life for three years and die, right? right? So now people, it's not uncommon to live to 90, 95, 100. And we're, everybody wants to be young forever, so that's great, but that means you also have to probably work till you're 70 or 75 too right. to sustain that type of lifestyle. So I think it's outliving. Interesting. And then, go ahead. No, I was just saying that's very interesting. And then I, th- I think the third thing is, you know, I think we've got some really interesting ethical and moral decisions to make as a society. And what I mean by that is with the biologic drugs that are coming out right now, um, there will be an ability to cure just about every disease. Right. So, you know, hepatitis is now cured with a Sovaldi. Uh, soon you'll have diabetes maybe a cure for cancer, mm-hmm. and but that's going to come at a huge cost. So whose responsibility is it to pay for those drugs? So, so Valdi as an example, to get a cure, it costs $100,000, three months of drugs. So whose responsibility is that? Is it right. the employers? Is it taxpayers for Medicaid, Medicare? Um, um, so if a cure for cancer, let's say, because the drug that makes that drug is going to want a profit, right? Right. So if it costs you $200,000, how do you decide who's cured and who's not cured? So I think there's going to be some tough decisions that have to be made. Absolutely. Just like people that are in social medicine have to be made. 
because we're in a private, uh, privatized health system. So, uh, interesting times to be figured out in the healthcare space. Definitely not a dull moment, that's for sure. Um, what do you think, kind of shifting gears here um, in terms of uh, business leaders and entrepreneurs, what do you think um, makes business leaders successful? What kind of qualities do you see drive success in your industry? Yeah, so I, said, yeah, I would say you know, I think it really depends where you are. Um, I think if you're going to work for a corporation, um, I think you, um, yeah, I think you have to be political in nature. Yeah. Um, not the smartest people make it to the top of the corporation. Right. Um, and not many people survive corporations these days, as you know, with all the layoffs. Um, but I think it depends on the corporation. I think if you're going to be a corporate person, you know, sometimes it seems like people with their head down do the best. Those that tend to be more entrepreneurial typically find their way to the entrepreneurial world. Right. Like uh, a lot of people that we know, I think uh, what I really admire are people that go to the entrepreneurial world and to be successful there, you have to be willing to fail. You have right. to have dogged determination and you, can't, and you have to have a unrelenting passion to solve a need. Okay, right. whatever that need is, and you have to be willing to be punched in the face over <laughs> and over and over and over again. Yeah, and um, those that do it um, are successful, and they are willing to take calculated risks, and they're willing to do what's necessary to be successful. Unfortunately, nine out of ten people perhaps aren't, and they don't make it. So I think it depends on the environment. Yeah, um, one's an entrepreneurial success. The other is more of a corporate success, and uh, I think it's it's starting to be more and more difficult for, at least I think, for corporate people to figure out what it takes to be successful in a corporation because there is um, politics and brown nosing and yeah. all that a lack stuff of authenticity, that, probably. Yeah. Yeah, it's just phoniness that goes on. Yeah. But that's not to say there's not good people in corporations. There are. Right. Uh, it just depends on what path you want to take. Interesting. Cool. Uh, great answer. Um, how do you personally measure success? Do you consider yourself to be successful today? Um, I think my best is yet to come. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I think success is a journey. Um, I think those that end that the destination comes too soon, like you inherit it, or you win the lottery, or you're an NFL football player and you play two years, we all know how that story ends, right? Right. It doesn't end in a good way. I think if you are a student of any business that you're in, and you stick to it, and you earn it, and you do it by being a student of the business and being inclusive of others, and bringing, al bringing along others for your success, mm -hmm. it's so much more enjoyable because who likes to celebrate success alone, right? Right. And nobody ever gets there alone. So I think, you know, good leaders are those who give credit to others and uh, lead others to what the ultimate mission is. Now, on a personal level, I would tell you, I think, you know, it's very different success. I think success for me is um, continuing to be married yeah. Uh, it's continuing to be a good father, and as of yesterday, I celebrated 18 years. <gasps> Congrats! Um, 
with my wife, and it hasn't been easy. You know me, being yeah. easy, being married to me, <laughs> all the travel that I have. You're a handful. And, you yeah. Know, my, my, my kids love my wife and I both, so I think success to me is is being able to balance both, is being able to say, look, I can still share my life with the ones I love, right. but I can still also work hard, and I think that's not to say that people that get divorced aren't successful. Uh, things happen all the time, but for me, that's how I define it. Beautiful. It's a beautiful answer. And Erica deserves, like, a prize, too, for 18 years. For putting up with me, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, so I know you're very plant-based. What is your personal diet like? What do you eat like on a daily basis? A lot. No. <laughs> I am, um, you know, being married to a dietitian, I'm yeah. pretty conscious about that. So I typically in the morning have a piece of fruit, a banana, or oatmeal, mm -hmm. and then I, I eat very light. And then lunchtime, I try to have tuna fish, fish, maybe a few pieces of cracker for the carbs, mm -hmm. a piece of fruit, and then at dinner. Uh, either um, chicken or fish, okay. and lots of vegetables. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm fortunate because I don't have a sweet tooth. Yeah. Um, I don't really worry about that too much. My uh, my Achilles is is uh, so I love chips and stuff. So I try as much as possible to remove uh, potato chips and French fries from the diet. Yeah. And um, that's where I get hurt. Yeah. But. Yeah, I try to keep, and I try to, you know, walk 30 minutes a day, and uh, if I can keep my caloric intake under 2,500, 3,000 a day, I, I do pretty well. Yeah. Um, of course, the problem is you add some wine to it, and that's just... <laughs> the wine gets you, yeah. for sure. Do you have any sort of mindfulness practice or anything that keeps you kind of focused or before you start your day, keeps you in alignment? Yeah, I, um, before I start every day when I'm home, um, I do one of two things, so I either walk for 30 minutes mm -hmm. uh, to clear my mind, and I put my music in, I don't watch news or any of that negative mm -hmm. stuff going on, or um, I garden for 30 minutes. Great. Um, so one of two things, that's my ritual before I take any calls, before I do anything and elevate my blood pressure, and uh, so that's my deal. Um, hopefully at some point in time I'll be able to get into meditation or something, but right now it's gardening or exercise. Yeah. You would love it. You would thrive, I think, with meditation for sure. Um, last question for you, probably one of my favorites. Um, what's a valuable piece of advice that you'd like to give to other entrepreneurs um, that are creating their businesses right now with some sort of conscious intention? No, I would say, um, here's what I would say. For those folks that have worked for a big company for a long time, um, start playing your what you want to do maybe two years before you leave. Start, because you're going to need funds, you're going to need other yeah. people to work with you. And don't jump off the cliff. Uh, it's how it works. You may need to do it at nights when you're not doing work in your other job, to be fair to your current employer, but ease into it. Um, put together a strong plan. The biggest thing I would say to you is build your network. Build your network of people that you may need capital from, people that you can get advice from. Most people who've made it um, are very successful, um, are very good at uh, picking the brains of other people and finding out how to be successful. No sense to reinvent the wheel. And then when you go into it, make sure you're well capitalized and make sure that um, you're willing to make mistakes because uh, you're not going to get it right 
be willing to reinvent yourself every three to six months because there's nothing wrong with going down a path and finding out it's not the right one. Just pivot right. and go to the next path. Um, but have the courage to try, and you, know, you don't want to get to a point. And uh, by the way, I was on this path where you, know, you get to a certain age and you kind of say woulda, coulda, shoulda, and then it gets to be too late. So yeah. if you don't like it and it doesn't work out, you can always go back to what you were doing before. It's a good point. Great advice. Thank you, Jeff. Do you have any um, anything else that I didn't ask you that you wanted to talk about? Um, I don't think so. I think that's that's it. Um, Where can people uh, find your podcast? What's that? Where can people find your podcast? Is it on a a website Um, or YouTube? So you can find, um, if you go to LinkedIn, just search Jeff Bernhard. There'll be a description. LinkedIn or type in Friends with Benefits or my Garden Shells Executive Gardener. Just type that into YouTube. You'll find me there. Subscribe. You'll see all my gardening shenanigans. That's a lot more exciting than health insurance. <laughs> Nobody, including me, wants to talk about insurance all day, although I do for 10 hours. Much more exciting. But that's where you can find me. Roxana, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for making the time. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks. All right. Have a great day. Bye. You too. Okay. Bye.